You're listening to Entrepreneurship 101 podcast with Creative Muscle Studios. This is Irina Hall, and today in the studio with me is Greg Patton and our guest, Deborah Daniel. So, Deborah, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Great, Irina, I'm so happy to be here. But for those that don't know me, I am um, Deborah Daniel. I am a CPA. I have owned my own firm for 25 years. And so a lot of what I bring to the table when I'm chatting with folks is really 25 years of entrepreneurship. So hopefully we can get some good information out here, but also 25 years when I think has been a really instrumental time for women in business, because I am in a predominantly male-dominated field, even even in the 2018 timeframe, still a lot of the, you know, practitioners in CPA and both financial advising and things like that are men. And so to have lived for the past quarter of a century in that male-dominated world, I've seen a lot, learned a lot, and I think know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 25 years as an entrepreneur, that's quite a while. How how have you been doing it? Well, you know, that's really an interesting, um, it's an interesting question. And it really is a lifestyle and a mindset, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, without going into a ton of my story, I really am a little bit of an entrepreneur because there wasn't an internet back in 1992 um, when I first started my business because I had gotten recruited away to work at a Fortune 100 company and I absolutely hated the job and I was too embarrassed to call my old employer and ask for my job back, which I probably could have gotten. And so in my mid-20s, I started on this entrepreneurial journey, um, kind of by mistake, kind of because I was like, I hate this job and I don't want to do it. But, you know, I was it was not a really busy kind of gig. And I'm the kind of person, and I think you have to be this a little bit to be an entrepreneur, that you can work me to death, but don't bore me to death. And so we were busy for about a week of the month, um, working on this big flash report for all the stockholders and stuff like that. But then the other three weeks of the month, if we didn't have, um, we weren't buying a company or something like that and doing, you know, traveling for due diligence, we were kind of sitting around. So unlike today, you didn't have this little box in front of you that you could just search around and, you know, play around on the internet and play Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So to actually sit there for half of the month with nothing to do was absolutely excruciating. Mm-hmm. So that sometimes I say is why I'm an entrepreneur now, because I would rather go work and do something than sit around and do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for being our guest, Deborah. Um, I want to ask right away, what are essential tips for entrepreneurs when they're starting out when it comes to their finance? Oh, that's a good one. Well, and that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. And I've actually started encapsulating in my, in the new, my new kind of platform is, is called Business by the Numbers, because I do think that that's where people are missing the boat a lot. Um, you know, I love all the great marketing things that are out there, the shiny objects and the, you know, the latest podcast strategy, the latest, you know, Facebook strategy, the latest. But the problem is, I feel like the big thing that people are missing is that really basic foundation. They're building their businesses on, you know, basically a foundation of quicksand. If you don't have the numbers right, if you're not tracking the numbers, you're never really gonna get to where you need to go to. So I think that's where people really need to step back. Am I formed right? Am I right? Am I the right type of entity? Do I have the systems in place so that I can track what's going on? And I think that's where people really miss the boat. And it's a step, I mean, business is very, this is something I say a lot too, business is very simple. It's just 
it's not easy. And so you just need to make sure that you have this great, to me, the perfect intersection of, I have this great product or service that people are, then there's a bunch of people that want to buy it. And it's something that I want to do that actually makes money. That's, that's what people don't think about sometimes. They want to do what they want to do, but there's not a market for it, or there's not, people aren't willing to pay for it, or, you know, they, it's something that they can do and charge people for, and they hate doing it. So, I mean, that was kind of a long, convoluted answer, sure, but 25 sure. years of observing, that's kind of what I figured out. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you started your business initially, how long did it take you to get all the processes in place and kind of get to the point, okay, now I'm good, it's all set up, and I'm doing oh, my business? I think it's definitely an evolution all the time. I mean, because there's different, the way you handle business for that first 50,000 of revenue is very different from that 50 to 100,000, mm-hmm. from the 100 to 250, you know, to the scaling up to trying to get to seven figures, which is, I think, a goal that all of us should should be trying to do. I mean, even if we're not, we're like, there's no way I can do that. Um, but I, I took a different, there's two ways to build a business to me. You can market, market, market and go find clients, or you can buy some volume. Fortunately, I was in a situation where, I mean, I, this all started about the same time I got married. I've been married for 26 years. My husband um, was working in a situation where he really was making enough for us to have enough money at home. So we actually went in the first five years, we bought four small accounting firms. So all the money that I made for those first five years was was used to pay back the old owners. I mean, there's two ways to do it. You could either spend a ton of money on marketing and you know start with zero revenue and, and build up slowly. Obviously, the more expensive way was to actually buy that revenue stream. But then to me, I felt like I had that ongoing revenue and it was worth it to me to go ahead and, and and then it was a lot easier to go and say instead of hey will you be my first accounting client I mean because I really was only in my 20s I was only like 26 when this started so to be talking to people like me and they're you know a little bit further along and try to tell them what to do I felt like I needed to buy the credibility of course 25 years later I have the credibility but I just felt like for me and not every business has that opportunity there's not you know ongoing businesses that people are selling. But in the professional services industry, that is one way to go. And I found it to be a good way for me. What were you looking for when you were basically targeting those accounting firms that you were going to buy? Well, honestly, I was just looking for flat out revenue. I just wanted the revenue stream because I felt like I could go in and I mean, then I could control the expenses. Because the thing is, I mean, there's two ways to increase your cash flow. Up your revenue, lower your expenses. I personally don't think you can cut your expenses into wealth, really. So really, the top line number was really important. But I will tell you, one of the biggest things for me, and still is a struggle for me a little bit, is you have to be willing to sell. You have to be able to sell. And especially people from a professional services background sometimes don't feel like it's icky to sell. Women kind of feel like it's icky to sell or whatever. But I think one of the reasons that I've been able to be successful for 25 years is... um, that I, I kind of consider myself more of an entrepreneur who sells accounting services. Um, and it's morphed into a lot more than that since then. I do a lot of business coaching. I do financial planning for my clients. I do pretty much anything money-related. I help them. But it started out just being an accounting business for a long time. But the thing is, you've, you, in addition to those just financial systems, you've got to be willing to sell or have yeah. somebody that's selling for you. I mean, that's just flat out all there is to it. You could be the greatest, most wonderful practitioner or, you know, business in the world. But if you can't ask people to buy from you, you might as well just stay home. Yeah, that's that's a big problem, I find. Where do you think the negative impression 
when it comes to selling comes from, from those entrepreneurs starting out? Because anybody who comes from a sales background understands, okay, that's the lifeblood, that's the economy, that's what makes businesses work. Mm -hmm. Why do you think entrepreneurs who have big ideals always struggle with the sale process? I'll tell you, I I think, I think what it is a little bit, you're giving them the opportunity to work for you instead of feeling like you're imposing on them to to mm-hmm. to buy from you. You see, if you yeah. can switch that switch that mindset between I'm offering this to you, some will, some won't. So what? Somebody's waiting. You know, instead of feeling like oh my gosh, this is so stressful. If they don't want my product or service, they don't like me. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think they get too mixed up in that mm-hmm. whole equating the business with you personally and and it's just not personal i mean it's business i mean Mm -hmm. you have a service you have a product you have a price the person either wants it or doesn't want it that doesn't mean you're a bad person or a good person or whatever but i think people get very tied up in that psychology do you have some other people besides you in your company who does the sales job You know, that's something that we have really been working on because I, I do, I mean, I've been in business for a long time, but we have not gotten to that seven-figure level. And honestly, I evaluated my own business in the way I would help a client. I'm like, well, you're basically selling time. You only have this many people. You're kind of at capacity. So, and you're the only person that's doing the selling. Hmm. That's a little bit of a limiting factor. So what we did is I actually added two new team members. So before the capacity came, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to get the work, and I, we actually are we are standardizing our product offerings because one thing that we that held up and made me responsible for the sales was it was always kind of like a proposal. It was always kind of like a customized. And as long as it was that, nobody else really could do the selling, mm-hmm. right? So it was always easy to sell the tax services because those were like, okay, this is how much a tax. We had a schedule for that. You know, it was pretty much cut and dried. You got a 1040, you got a schedule C, you're an 1120, whatever. Mm-hmm. But where we're trying to scale, because I mean, we're, we do like a thousand tax returns and I'm glad to do more tax returns, but man, that's a lot of work for just a couple of months of the year. So how we looked at our numbers, and I have a plan um, to get to that seven figure level in the next 12 months, um, is we needed to get the ongoing monthly charge the monthly recurring stuff but the thing is there were two reasons we didn't really build that up in the past one I didn't really like doing the bookkeeping that much myself because it's kind of you know a little tedious I like to say okay now that we have the numbers what do we do with them and I still want to do that so now that we have people that can help with it more and then um it, it just it, it was always that having to go sit with a person for an hour, talk to them about their business, and then come back and do a proposal. And I'll be frank with you. I mean, a lot of times I didn't get back to them with a proposal, which was just I me mean, because I'd go on to the next thing yeah. because I'm a little bit like a lot of entrepreneurs, like squirrel, what am I going to do next? Let's do the fun stuff. The new ideal just keeps coming in. Yeah. <laughs> because you haven't finished the last one. <laughs> yep. How do you, when you talk to clients, how do you get them to move past their limiting beliefs when it comes to spending money on their business? What I mean by that is, for example, I've got to hire more people. I've got to buy an office space now. I've moved past the beginning stages. How do you work with them to get them past those limiting beliefs when it comes to money? You know, that's huge. That's really huge. But I think people first have to understand what their baseline is a little bit. You have to know, okay, what amount of revenue do I have to to make just to cover my personal, I mean, because we're all in business to cover our personal expenses, not just so that, oh, great, I have a business that makes seven figures or whatever. Um, you So you have to understand, okay, this is where I am. And then look at what what 
I always look at it in terms of, I still to this day, when I shop for things, think, how many tax returns do I have to do for that? <laughs> I mean, you have to kind of really have a, and that goes back to, again, one of the things that I think are really important. You have to have the strategies, you have to have the systems, and you have to have the support. All that around your numbers means you have to have the numbers where you can actually understand that and mm-hmm. know. You know, so to me, if I know, okay, we're going to now move move out of our house, which I never worked in my house. I had an office from the very beginning, um, just because I bought that level of, mm-hmm. of activity, and I didn't, I couldn't have like a bunch of tax return people coming to my house um, because it is a very face-to-face business. Um, but so, okay, now I've been working in my office and we've got to 60, I'm just throwing numbers out, 60,000 in revenue. Um, I know that I now need to be accessible to people. Okay, a, a rent's going to cost me $1,000. If I look and say, okay, I can go get two more monthly clients or whatever, and you know what that number is, then you just go find those two clients. I mean, it's all about ROI. Everything we do needs to have a return on investment, especially our time and our money. So it's that's kind of what I look at when I'm choosing what activities to do every day. You should be doing the sales generating activities, mm-hmm. making those sales conversations. But then say you go to um, a networking event, you have to make, I mean, I will tell you, I that's another thing. I get busy and I don't follow up. I have seen a huge increase in my effectiveness of my networking over the past six months because I'm following up better. I mean, if you're going to go and just collect a whole bunch of cards, that's just a fun activity for you. That's not a, that's not a revenue generating activity. And so um, you have to know what is the return on investment for me to be out of the office for an hour. I need to make sure that I'm moving some, you know, maybe not that I'm, you know, you don't expect to get checks at a networking event, but <laughs> you, um, I mean, cause there's not too many transactions. Yeah. It's really more about telling, not selling. Um, I'm throwing a lot of my good zingers out here to you. <laughs> <laughs> This is stuff I talk about all the time. But um, but you have to know that you're moving people along your pipeline, that you're getting them more interested in what you're doing, that you're having them, you know, kind of business fall in love with you a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. because it really is when it all is said and done, the money is the most important. But to me, it's all about the relationships, mm-hmm. too. I mean, I don't want to work with people I don't like. I mean, so right. I'm constantly looking for people that I like that I want to work with. How long do you think your sales cycle is in terms of, Uh, From the time you meet the person to the time when you actually start working with them. Oh, wow. It just depends on what what they need, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so if I meet somebody today that needs to have a tax return done by September 15th, I mean, it could be today. Versus there are people that I literally... talk to two years ago and they wander into you. One thing that I do, and I don't think people do enough of this anymore, I have for 25 of the 26 years that I've had the business now, I send out a new homeowner letter in in the in January. Um, hey, welcome to our neighborhood. You know, these are a couple things you need to think about moving into, you know, moving into your new house yeah. and how that impacts your tax return. A little bit about me. I get a tremendous response from that. I've actually seen the response increase over the past couple of years because I don't think anybody is mailing anything. People are not using direct mail. And I love social media. I'm on it all the time. But I think we have to mix in those more traditional things. And I think we need to be more willing to pick up the phone and call people, too. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're getting that kind of response in your neighborhood because you're building the credibility the way where there's so many choices out there for what you do that they're like, okay, here's somebody that if I have any problems, I can just go straight Mm -hmm. to them in my neighborhood? I think that's definitely true. Like I only send to like the six or eight 
zip codes right around me. Now that doesn't mean I don't have clients all around the country or clients all over, but if you're going to spend the money on postage and licking and sticking and stamping them, because we do that in house and I've got to really think about that after 25 years of stuffing envelopes, but <laughs> I have my t I mean, it's really, we have stuffed so many envelopes, but, um, the, if you're going to spend the money for that, you want it to be kind of tight. But I mean, tight as far as geographically. But um, I do think that's important. That's why you do need a serious website, I think, today. I mean, obviously, back in 1993, when I started this, we didn't have websites. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I will tell you, I was one of the first people to get a website. And it was a horrible website until like two or three years ago when I finally did something about it. It was just like a brochure. It was embarrassing. But now I'm like, hey, go check out my website. It's fine. Um, but I think you need that now. I don't think people sell from the website. And I don't know what you guys think about that. I don't think people are selling from the website so much as that is, okay, I've heard about this person, I've met them somewhere, and that's kind of a little bit the social proof. You know, hey, this person's real, they're legit, let me go look at a little bit more of what's going on. I think that's the role a lot of websites, unless you're selling a product where people could just click and buy, Sure, um, is the purpose of those, mm -hmm. of those kind of things. When it comes to goal setting, when it with finance, I find that usually is the biggest hangup for a lot of entrepreneurs is can they get their goals in order of what they're actually trying to accomplish? Because as you stated before, we tend to just run with new ideals all over the place and not finish anything. So what can they do today that would help them with like their goal setting when it comes to finance? Well, I would, th I would say the, the number one thing is you've got to have what is that goal you're going after, right? So say, say you want to do say you're doing $60,000 in a year and you want to do 120. So that means you have to do $10,000 a month. Then you need to look at your business. It, you know, like in my business, it's not equal. I mean, we make a lot of our money January through April. So I can't just say, okay, divide by 12, because then I'd be looking like, oh, we're, you really hit these goals yeah. at the beginning of the year. <laughs> and then the end of the year in December, when it is dismal and nobody wants to pay their accountant, um, we'd be like, oh, this is a bad month. But um, so you basically have to get that that annual that annual goal break it down by month and by quarter depending on the seasonality of your business and then i think you have to track it every day you have to actually have some way that you are holding it you know you're coming back to center constantly yeah. because if you're not it's going to be and, and that's why i did a little challenge this summer i did a, this um just facebook group a couple people jumped in it was totally just content you know summer profit challenge 2018 and i was like look if if you're like everybody else if you don't con you know consciously say i'm not going to let the summer get away from me and i'm not going to use the excuse that you know everybody's on vacation and you know nobody wants to do things during the summer and it's just not serious you're going to wake up on labor day and your business will have stalled for 3 months and it is harder with kids because i i mean i've been doing this for 26 years i have a 20 year old and a 16 year old and the absolute truth is it is way easier to do your business without your kids running around during summer vacation i mean without a doubt <laughs> but the thing is you can mitigate that by making sure that you've really scheduled things and that you're tracking all the time. Mm -hmm. So that the end of like when I flipped over into August, I looked at where I was for the month of July, how that compared to what I wanted to do for July and where I was year to date. I mean, and it may not always be that I'm doing great and I'm where I'm supposed to be, but then I'm like, okay, we got to step it up. Or I'm like, hey, we're doing okay. Mm -hmm. um, but you're not, if you don't, what's, if you don't measure it, it doesn't happen. That's just, that's, I mean, the bottom line. One of the big things I'm sure you deal with on a regular basis is there's a negative impression when it comes to money about people wanting to have the talk when it comes to their money. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a big one. I, I, I actually talk about this a lot in some of the speaking that I do. Um, there's something wrong with a society that is more willing to laugh and talk about an off-color joke about, you know, 
sex or something, and they won't talk about their money. With I mean, I, I use the example all the time. You'll be sitting at your at your you know Thanksgiving table with all your extended family, and nobody will say anything about money. One because they're somebody might be embarrassed because they're not making enough. Somebody might be like, I don't want to brag, and you know, shouldn't we be talking about our money habits? Shouldn't we be you know, hey, this is what's working for me, or this is what I'm thinking about? But I think the problem is people. There's the whole money thing is really is is crazy. I don't think that. This is my opinion on money. It is our almost moral obligation to pursue in an ethical way, making as much money as we possibly can, not so that I could buy more stuff or my kids could go to a different school or I can have a new car. But the fact is you can't impact lives if you can't keep your lights on. And so the more money you make, the more impact you can have. And so, and, and the more you talk about money with people, the more comfortable they get about it. Because it is a taboo subject. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah. even when you're asking people to buy from you. I mean, I still even mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, stumble when I'm like, okay, and the cost is X, you know, because we're just like, are they going to judge us? Is that too much? Is that not enough? I mean, yeah. and then we get that whole weird, you know, if they want to, if they don't want to pay me, they don't like me. And, you know, we just have to separate that. I mean, money is a tool. And as long as we get okay with that and see that it is the tool that keeps everything going, I mean, it goes back to, you know, that's why they call it currency because it's a flow, you know, and it's when we, I, sometimes I feel like we hold on to it so tight that it actually repels more of it coming to you. And not talking about it is the same thing. Yeah, we're getting kind of deep here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, this is kind of thing where I would wonder. I wonder if a lot of it has to do with is the lack of education out there when it comes to money. Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Actually, one of the first courses that I ever did, and I'm actually going to re- re- reboot this because it was really very popular, is like a financial fitness for teens. And I kind of ran into that because my kids were, you know. I mean, obviously thinking that there was like a money tree out in the backyard and we just went and pulled it off whenever they needed it, you know, and oh, just put it on the credit card. I'm like, oh, well, that has to be paid sometime. But kids don't understand how money works and how, um, and I don't think people are having those conversations with their kids. Um, So if you break it down and explain this is how things work and oh the first oh my gosh the funniest this is very funny i had one per, one um, employee come to me and say um but i'm not on medicare why why is there medicare coming out of my check i'm like well, honey this is kind of how it works when you're working they take out social security and medicare from you when you retire you get some of it back but it was the funniest thing i still crack up about that because she's like i'm not on medicare why is there medicare coming out of i'm not on social security why is this coming out of my check because they just don't understand what's going on yeah it's the it's the ideal that most teenagers today can't balance the checkbook oh yeah most adults i would say that's true too that was a funny thing because i kind of um introduced it mostly to my clients and their kids. And so many parents were like, hey, that sounds like really good information, but can I come too? And so I was like, sure, the parents can come for free. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, I think one of the things that our listeners are probably wondering is what step can they take right now to put them on to a positive money mindset? Oh, wow, there's so many. But I would say the first thing is to get really a little bit more in touch with your own relationship with money. I mean, and just, you know, whatever, there's reading about it, there's, you know, talking with other people about it. Hey, what are you doing that's successful? Just taking the whole 
ickiness about talking about it, I think is the first thing that you can do. But then you've just got to have a goal. I mean, like one time, one of the things that I do with people when they're like, hey, I really want to start saving some more money is I have them do kind of, you know how like when you go to a fitness health person, they'll say, write down everything that you eat for two weeks and Mm -hmm. then we'll take a Mm -hmm. look at it. I have them do that too. Write down, you know, look at all that you're spending for like two weeks or a month. Um, Pull out your credit cards for the last three months and just go through and highlight like yellow is eating out and orange is, you know, and, and you can really see some trends of where you're spending money. And people don't realize, especially now, because there's not that feeling of here's my currency and you're you know, counting out the dollars, you're just swipe, swipe, swipe all day long, you don't really have a good grip of where the money's really going, right? And so when you actually lay it all out and look at it, and there's some cool um, apps. I mean, you can do mint.com or Quicken or things like that that'll automate it a little bit. And I would suggest that for someone that's not really in tune with what they're spending. But really figure out what you're spending first and then figure out where you can close up some of those money leaks because everybody I can I have never sat down with someone that I couldn't find them $200 a month that they could put towards their investments or whatever it's you know skipping the Starbucks coffee you know yeah. I mean you know there's just like a million different little things that you can do I had a mentor who actually I think I was this was 12 years ago who did who said the exact same thing to me because I was complaining at the time I was working three jobs and I'm like I've got no money left over I don't know what and he's like Write down everything you spend daily. He says, and do me a favor, put your debit card away for a month. Mm-hmm. He's like, just pay everything in cash. He's like, you'll understand where your money's going. He's like, mm-hmm. until you do those kind of exercises, you'll just continue to say, I don't have enough money. Where's my money? Exactly. I call those the leaks because there are a lot of leaks. And where I find one, and I'm very much in tune with where my money is going, I find a lot of times my problem is I'll order something online that I want and I don't realize I'm kind of committing to paying for something monthly. And then, you know, all of a sudden I've been paying for it for six months and it may be $10 or $20 or whatever. But those things add up when you're not, you know, I mean, and I'm pretty much in tune with it. So I can't even imagine people that aren't looking at their stuff. One thing that amazes me on this topic is I have so many clients who will bring me their stuff and none of the envelopes are even opened to do their tax return. Yep. I'm like, you haven't even looked at this stuff. I mean, you can't, you know, avoiding it doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> but that's why that's why they think they're paying the account is so they don't have to look at that and they can just kind of have over. It's like when the doctor gives you the physical mm-hmm. and it comes to the money physical, it's like, I don't really want to know these things, but I kind of need you to tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think most people don't know what's really going on. I mean, they're just, I call it managing by the checkbook. There's money there, so it's okay for me to spend. But is it really what I should be spending it on, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to people getting the right money mindset, you're saying that goal setting seems to be the biggest thing. What is it about being able to have the conversation, say like that Sunday dinner table conversation with money, why is it that a lot of entrepreneurs are okay doing that in their business, but when it comes to their personal, that's when they seem to want to avoid the money conversation. You know, and that is so, so true. I mean, honestly, I <laughs> that you're hitting a raw nerve for me really right now because I have a son that's in college 
and it seems like he's spending so much more money than I think he should. And when I look back, I mean, I, I mean, I assume that just being around us, he would absorb a lot of our habits and stuff. Um, and the thing is, if you're not talking about it there, I mean, they do observe a lot of what you're doing, but we never had that conversation of look, you know, hey, it's not an unlimited number. There is a budget. I mean, there is, you know, this is allocated and, you know, it, we have certain goals that we want to do that, you know, just because the money is there doesn't mean, oh, great, you can have another Xbox or, oh, great, you can buy another game or whatever. I mean, just because, you know, it's kind of like in your business, just because you can do a task doesn't mean you should be doing it. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you should buy everything that you see. You know, and I think having that conversation with your kids early on, I mean, that's something that it's hard once they're older because they've already kind of gotten into this, oh, well, they're going to let me have whatever I want attitude. And if I had one thing, one thing in my life to do differently is I would have been a little more strict with my kids on money, like making them earn what they're doing. Sure. Because the thing is, it's, it's even in our business, we don't value what we don't earn. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it's really, it, it's just really true. But I think there's a lot of people in my generation, you know, you know, the kind of 40s, 50s kind of people that, you know, I was the first person that ever went to college in my family. I mean, I we are economically so different than than where we started out. I wanted my kids to have, you know, everything that, you know, maybe I didn't have growing up. I I had I worked when I was in high school because I wanted at very early age to start doing stuff. I didn't make my kids work in high school. Um, but the thing is, I don't think I would have the successful business today had I not done that. And I'm just, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, and they're not like ruined or whatever, but I'm really having to change the narrative because even if you're totally into it, it, it your kids see what they want to see. I think a lot of the time. That's my one regret in my whole life so far. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say the only regret I've ever had. Sure. But the one money regret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the debt conversation, I'm sure you see that a lot in terms of entrepreneurs. Like, oh, yeah. what what is the most practical thing that they can do when they get into debt when it comes to their business? Well, I'm, I would say, I mean, I'm kind of a bad person to talk about debt because I don't really like debt at all. Unless the, it is for something that is going to um, increase, you know, increase in value, like your house, unless, you know, you got to have a car. I am totally anti-credit card debt. I mean, okay. uh, I use my credit cards like crazy, but we, I mean, we pay them off every single month. Other than when we've had an opportunity to buy our washing machine and dryer for 0% interest, we do not, in 26 years of marriage, we do not carry a credit card balance. Absolutely. Hasn't happened. Isn't going to happen. That's di- that's discipline. Unless it's a zero percent. I mean, it, unless you know, I'm going to use somebody else's money. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, that one thing has been instrumental in building our wealth. I can tell you because everybody else that I have seen that you, you know, you just when you're just paying the credit card payments. I mean, that great shirt that you got at you know Macy's for fifty dollars, but you take you know a year to pay it off is now a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I remember when we first got married, um, I mean, my parents sacrificed. We didn't have any, I didn't have any student loans. Um, my husband had a small student loan, about $10,000. You know, back in the 80s, you could go to college for that. Um, now, that is not the case. <laughs> Maybe one semester. But um, so we, one of the first things we did when we got married is we paid that off. I mean, I think within maybe six months of being married. And then for a while, we didn't have car payments that both of us just had. I mean, I think the smart use of debt by itself is that it can be a determining factor in people. It's actually more important than saving, I think. I mean, to not have debt. Yeah, from the conservation standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly think one of the 
the hiccups you see entrepreneurs run into is the ideal that, well, if I buy this, this could produce more revenue for me, but it seems that this could be mm-hmm. the downslide of when the business starts to kind of go downhill. Oh, definitely. But I mean, I think I mean, I think it is okay to borrow stuff for your business. Like if you're like, okay, I need this one thing or whatever. I need a video studio or something. But I know that I'm going to be able to have this extra revenue for it. I'm okay with doing that, it, it, you know, but you have to track and see, am I really getting the revenue from it? So that the next time you have a chance to buy something, you have some history of whether this is going to happen. The problem is you can't just keep, okay, I'll buy this one, I'll buy this one, I'll buy this one, and then there's nothing to show for it. Okay, yeah. we've just spent $20,000 and we have no more revenue. Whoops, this is not good. <laughs> so what is the fastest way to pay off your debt if you, if you get one? Well, to me, and this goes back to the leaks, I mean, one thing that people don't realize is how, how important your credit score is. I mean, because if you've got, I was blown away. Somebody was that in my circle was wanting to expand their business and they needed, um, they needed like $20,000. I'm like, well, go get a 0% credit card. She's like, I can't even get a regular credit card. The only thing that I can borrow is like at 36% hard money. I mean, that is unfathomable to me. I mean, like I, if I wanted to go today, I could easily get a 0% credit card. So 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 the best thing to do is guard your credit. Do whatever you can. And there's a couple factors. That's a whole other conversation on how to get your credit up, um, the smart use of credit. But get, you know, get a, get a 0% credit card if you can or a lower credit card. Transfer the funds over to that and then just push as much as you can towards it. But the bad thing is, it's kind of like your advisor told you in the past, you got to put the debit card away. It doesn't do you or the credit card away. It doesn't do you any good to be saving, saving, saving. Yeah. But I mean, I always and I come back to this again and my husband and I argue about this all the time when I'm wanting to spend I'm like, well he's like, let's not spend that. I'm like, well, let's just go get some more revenue and then it doesn't then it's a non issue. Yep. So to me, just mm-hmm. get more revenue right. <laughs> is the easiest way. And then um, you know, always pay off the debts first. I mm-hmm. think. The that, highest debt first and then move on down. That that's definitely the mindset of Creative Muscle Studios. <laughs> we have those conversations. <laughs> Talking about putting your credit card away, I just heard uh, this piece of advice. If you want to put your credit card away, put it in a jar with water, put some water in it, and put it in a freezer. <laughs> so the next time you want to use it, you're actually going to have to unfreeze it, like take it out of the freezer and actually unfreeze it. That's really true. But, but the thing that really, I think you need to have that, um, uh, you need to have the a- access to capital, right? I mean, that's so important. Maybe one of the most important things about a business because, you know, one of the ways we bought those businesses um, is usually in, in that kind of thing, it's seller finance, but we still had to have down payments. I mean, it didn't occur to me. I mean, we borrowed the down payment. We were only 26 years old. We didn't have a ton of money. We had to buy, I think the first down payment we needed was like fifty or $60,000. We borrowed that from my parents and his, my husband's parents' retirement account. So by damn, I was going to definitely pay that back. I mean, I could not pay back. My, yeah. you know. So when you've got the motivation to pay it back, but the, that access to capital. So sometimes if you put your credit card away where it's frozen and you do need something for your business, that does kind of keep you from getting to that capital. But but some of the most important things that business owners don't think about is where can I get the capital? Do I have a way to support myself while this business grows? Because I had a tenant. We own our building where we are. I had a tenant that was upstairs. Um, and oh, that was just a whole cluster. He didn't get the concept that you had to get what was left over after the business expenses to use for your personal. He actually had like a roofing company or something like that. So he was taking people's deposits and spending on whatever he needed. And then he got behind where he couldn't pay for the the work to be done. And so in kind of 
also skipped out on us not paying his rent and left a bunch of angry people Mm -hmm. knocking on the door because he had taken the money, used it for himself. And I mean, you just can't do that. I mean, you know, you have to make sure that you have the savings to support yourself for six months or you have your spouse like I thankfully did that was providing. And we lived very, very modestly. I mean, we lived in a very inexpensive condo. We didn't have car payments. We didn't, you know, go on expensive trips when we were trying to build the business or whatever. Um, You've got to have that other source of revenue because no business, I don't care how great it is, immediately starts producing enough revenue for you to live on. Mm -hmm. And people just aren't willing to do that. And I think the other factor is most of them are not willing to do the work that it takes. Right. Because this is not an easy journey. I mean, if you want easy, go get a job from somebody else. Because the fact of the matter is there's nothing harder than constantly having to go out and hunt and gather your own people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, unless you've got some kind of gig that's recurring all the time, you're constantly hunting and gathering. Mm -hmm. You know, at least in your job, they're going to pay you whether, you know, they're out there hunting and gathering for you a little bit. (laughs) Right. So speaking about uh, different revenue streams, once you have your business set up and it's bringing money, how do you introduce other revenue streams into it? Well, that's interesting that you say that, because to me, I think every business should have multiple revenue streams and not particular. I mean, and this is universal. I mean, most of us start out with a product or service or like in the the instance of a professional services business, we were selling basically stuff by the hour, pretty much. Then you want to move to some kind of what I call leverage dollars for per hour. And maybe that's a package. Maybe that's um, instead of, okay, we're going to charge you. $25 an hour for your bookkeeping, we put together your bookkeeping, your payroll, and your tax return, and we're going to bundle that in to, you know, $300 a month or whatever. Um, And you can do that with almost, I'm just using that example, but every business, you're going to move from that model of dollars per hour, which is your, how most of us start out, um, to some kind of bundled services or packaged services. And then you want to have some kind of recurring revenue. Like we actually are QuickBooks Pro Advisors. And so we have clients that are, um, getting their QuickBooks, we have a wholesale price and we charge them for the the QuickBooks at the retail price. And, you know, it's a little bit, but I don't have to do anything for that revenue. It's just happening every single month. So you want to have some kind of recurring revenue that isn't tied to your time. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth piece, and this comes back to the whole money thing that I think people leave out of, you need to, in your business, in your business plan, have a fine, you know, kind of a, a, a piece of the business, that you're taking a portion of what you're earning and that's being invested also to work for you not related to your business. Mm-hmm. That way all your eggs aren't in one basket, you know, and maybe that means buying your building instead of renting it, you know, mm-hmm. so you're investing in that. Or maybe it means, you know, whatever retirement account that you're doing a SEP or a simple or a 401k in your business. You've got to have that component in there to have a strong long-term business, I think. Mm-hmm. So if you have an, an all, all, what I call those four buckets, that's when you're really successful, I think. What do you find if you're coming from a professional services is a great way to increase a revenue stream? Um, well, raising your prices <laughs> is always one way. But to me, there's I mean, you can either raise your prices, you can do more with the go deeper with the people that you're already doing that doing stuff with. Um, because there are, you know, there are people that there's going to be a percentage of the people that you're working with that want to go deeper with you. Now, not everybody's going to want to have, you know, one on ones with you and, you know, extra little time. But the people that do that want to come behind that, you know, red rope kind of into your VIP kind of um, part of your business you want to give that as an option to people because some people are like, hey, I really like to talk to you about this stuff more often during the year. So we've put together kind of what I call our premium package where they actually have access to me throughout the year to ask questions. Because, I mean, honestly, 
if we're only seeing them once a year, we're only making X, but they're only getting that one service. So and not every, and that's fine for some people. That's all they want to do. But you want to make sure you do give a chance for them to work deeper with you. That's, I think, the easiest way to increase your revenue is to go back to the people that already like you and say, hey, you want some more? I yeah. got some other ideas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think the most interesting thing that's been a conversation recently is the work-life balance thing for entrepreneurs. Because mm-hmm. what I've really been impressed by is how sleep is becoming the new cool. <sighs> exactly. Exactly. I will tell you, sleep is an area that, oh, I really, is, is always a concern. We're actually looking at different kinds of beds and stuff to try to find out, can we sleep better? Um, but the work-life balance, I will tell you, is it's hard for everybody, but I will tell you, I think it's a little harder for women. I mean, I'm not man-slamming by any stretch of the means, but in most families, all the stuff that someone that stayed at home does still is on the shoulders of I mean, even no, no matter how much per, the, the the woman is making, I mean, we're still I'm still the one that that in our house thinks about what are we going to eat, what's going to go on at the grocery store, and I'm not saying my husband doesn't help me, but it, in a very support role, you know, I mean, he does a ton with our kids. He always did a lot with our kids, but the work life balance is so so hard. I think when you do have children, um, but then just yourself. I mean, it's so easy to just keep working or keep doing emails right up until the time you go to bed and check your Facebook one more time and look at your email. I think that's one of the areas that I'm working on. I feel like I will actually, and I do see a little bit of it already, the more I pull back just a little bit and give myself a little bit more time to, you know, go get that manicure or exercise a little bit more or go to bed a little bit earlier instead of let me go look at my stuff. It actually increases your productivity when you're working and makes it and makes it easier to do to um, make money. That's hard though, because, you know, we're, we're kind of programmed. I think we're so type A in our society that we're kind of programmed to, oh, let me send one more email. Let me make one more phone call. Let me do one more thing. And so if you can master the whole money conversation and this work-life balance thing, I think you, I mean, that's really what it takes to make this whole entrepreneurial game work. (laughs) Do you believe in allocating specific time for self-care? Like, for example, every week, every Saturday from this time to this time? You know, I I do think that that's important. I have not gotten to that. And that's one of my goals is I, the thing is, and this is just, I don't know how you guys work, but I work off my calendar. If it doesn't get on my calendar, (laughs) it doesn't get done. Because the thing is, I mean, if not, the worst thing you can have is walk in and have a day with nothing scheduled. Because then I, I don't know what happens to those days. But it's like four o'clock and I'm like, what the heck did I do all day today? Yeah. So, and I will tell you, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a sore point for me and our family. Cause like my son right now is home from college and he wants to, he needs a new iPhone. He needs a new iPhone according to him. But so he's like really pressuring me yesterday to let's do it today. Let's go to the Apple store today. Cause mm-hmm. I know if you get into the week, you're going to like not have time to mess with it. I mean, and the thing is, I make time for what's important and I do have gaps in my schedule. But if it doesn't get on the schedule, he knows if I don't book a time in there that you're going to talk to me about this phone, I'm going to go back to college with this crappy phone or crappy in his idea. <laughs> it's interesting when you bring up the work-life balance conversation from the standpoint of if you've been established for a while, now you start planning things out. OK, I can take a little bit of time. But what if you're an entrepreneur and you're within like the first five years of your business? It's really hard to walk away from the business just because you want to do something. Well, that's true. The first, the beginning of a business always is a little bit harder because you're trying to establish, you know, your revenue streams. You're trying to figure out, you know, how to really do this or whatever. But I think it comes down to you. You've got to have what I was saying. You have to have that work life integration, I think, a little bit. I mean, you know. Honestly, if you need to work, you need to work. I mean, like in our life, 
it's, it's tax season. I mean, we have two different worlds. We have January through April and we have the rest of the year. So in that tax season time, I mean, you know, we basically, I mean, my kids know. And <laughs> seriously, if there's not like a bone sticking out, we kind of have to try to push it off if we can a little bit. Um, but then again, in the summer, when we are less busy, we make it happen. But the, the biggest thing is I think you've got to just, you've got to be really a marshal of your own time. I will tell you, I am not the best about, I mean, I've only recently gotten good about scheduling my, my time a little bit better. I'm living proof that you can have a fairly successful multi-six-figure business and be a little bit disorganized because, I mean, I'm kind of like a little bit creative for what I do. And um, But I will tell you, I have seen quantum exponential improvements with every little bit of planning and structure that I put in. I mean, I'm kind of like, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the person, there's different personality tests, but there's one that you rank different things. I'm an action. And, and oh, my yeah. last thing is, is kind of what they call blueprint, which is kind of the systems and the structures. I wanted to like throw that one out. But the fact is structure is freedom. And you can say, oh, well, I'm, I just don't believe it. Don't, don't, you know, don't put baby in the corner. Don't, you know, don't you know, box me in or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm too free spirited for that. It's really a, a story that we've basically told ourselves. The fact of the matter is the more structured you are, the more money you will make flat out. I mean, I could deny it all I want to and say, yeah. don't worry about my messy office. It doesn't affect me. It does. When I walk in and my office is messy and I can't find what I need, obviously I'm not making as much money as I need to. When I don't have things scheduled and I'm just kind of walking off, working off the cuff, I don't make as much money as I would. I struggle with the ideal about the free spirit thing, but then I had somebody who put it in great perspective for me once. They said, okay, this person who you're talking about, who's free thinking, who's doing what they want... What does their bank account look like? Exactly. But I think we also get into this, I'm the boss, so nobody tells me what to do. Yeah. So I can just do whatever I mm -hmm. want to. And that's really one of the hardest things. I would say the biggest struggle for someone, especially if they're coming from a corporate environment to entrepreneurship, is there's nobody being your boss. Like one thing that I do to kind of keep myself on track, because there's nobody giving you a performance review or whatever. You have to kind of do it for yourself. So I have this spreadsheet that I've been doing for probably 15 years, maybe more, where I have not particularly, don't look at revenue, but how many tax returns did we complete as a team today compared to last year, compared to year to date? And yeah. I have it going back for like about 15 years. And so then you can know, hey, we're, we're tracking okay. Versus if, you know, if we're falling behind, there's something wrong because we're actually doing more returns than we've, you know, every year we're doing more. So we're like, okay, we got to up the productivity, but there's nobody in entrepreneurship that is your boss. Actually, you have the worst boss in the world, yourself. <laughs> I'm going to ask one last quick question. Uh, we talked about the life and work balance, and this kind of goes into it. Do you have a specific morning routine that when you wake up, it puts you into that mode of, okay, I'm motivated now. I can go about my day. You know, that's something that I am just now integrating. Like I said, I, I, you can do it without having all this great structure. It's just a lot harder. But one thing I am starting to do is to do some journaling in the morning. I do have a journal that is kind of where, you know, what are my goals for the month? What are my goals for the week? And I kind of look ahead. I find that actually what's helping me the most is to be a little more prepared in the evening or like right before I leave, I get with my assistant and say, okay, what's going on for tomorrow? So that I have a little bit more hit the ground running kind of atmosphere, because if not, it's kind of like, okay, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And you spend, it's kind of like almost with like, uh, to me, we're trying to get healthier. 
if we plan out what we're going to eat, we do great. The minute we stop planning, then we're like going through the drive-through and grabbing the wrong thing. That's what happens with your time and your business if you don't plan it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do it. You're still going to eat that food, right? But it just wasn't the right food. You're still going to get through that business day, but you aren't really working on the most important things. And so if you can either in the evening or in the morning, pick out those three gotta do non-negotiables and then work off that, then you're set. So we've talked a lot about the money. We've talked about how you basically with the finances, what about yourself? What is it that you like to do with the money that you are bringing in, in your business? We like to save. (laughs) It's one of the things we like to do. Um, And I will tell you, that's all about money mindset too. I mean, you know, you you bring into your psyche money attitudes that were formed at a very young age. And so if you are in a very different economic situation than you were, you know, as a child, you could have you could be Warren Buffett and still have a little bit of trouble spending. But I think one thing we like to do is I mean, I like to spend money on stuff that saves me time. I mean, I, I my mom laughs at me, but back in the 70s, I used to say I was going to be a business person and I wasn't going to do housework and stuff like that. I don't like to do housework. I mean, so I pay for convenience a lot of the time and things that save me time. Um, I still like a good bargain. Like if I'm out shopping, I always check out the sale rack first and then I usually can find something I like. But um, to me, what I do with the money is the ultimate is to be able to buy yourself more time so that you can do the things that you want to do. So you don't feel like, oh, my God, I got to do those dishes so I can't really read this book. If that's what I that's what I like to do. And I think you've got to have that why. What am I doing this for? Yeah. Why am I mm-hmm. doing this every day? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wonderful. I think we got some really great nuggets of advice in regards to money today. Thank you, Deborah, so much for coming in and chatting with us. It's been a pleasure. Hey, I, I hope some of that made sense. I mean, it's just the 25-year journey I've had. This is just what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so, Deborah, uh, for our listeners, how do they find you? What's your website? My website is charteraccounting.com, and um, I also have another website, debradaniel.com, which is more of my speaking and talks a little bit about money mindset. The charter accounting is really for my clients. I mean, there's some other stuff on there, but that's how they communicate with us. But if you're just interested in kind of my thoughts on the whole money thing, a lot of that is out on that debradaniel.com. <laughs> Sounds good. So thank you so much for listening. This was Entrepreneurship 101 Podcast with Creative Muscle Studios with your hosts, Arena Hall and Greg Patton. We are on Anchor, iTunes, Google Music, and all major podcast platforms. Our website is creativemusclestudios.com. Check us out, subscribe to our YouTube channel and our social media channels. Stay tuned for our next episode and be brave and passionate.